0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Jesus, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you for your love for us. I pray, Lord, as we dive into your word, that we would not put anything into this text or pull anything out of this text that was not intended, that we would be good stewards of what you have given us. Lord, we praise you, and we turn our eyes toward you today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. John 11 A little bit about this story. This is a story about three siblings, 12 disciples, one Savior, and a bunch of strangers. It's a really cool story. This story has kind of become a bit of a testimony for my family and I in this season of church planting, in this season of life. We've taken a lot of life from this. What I can tell you about this story is there is so much here that could be unpacked over many, many weekends of services. So I would encourage you, go to your Bible and read and study this passage of Scripture. It's amazing. All right, we're going to jump in. You guys ready? John 11, here we go. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. It's very important. Spoiler alert, he comes back to life at the end. Sorry if you didn't know that already. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Does that make any sense to you? It says that he's like, man, he loved them. And then after a little bit of time, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to, but I'm going going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been, of course, speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus, in 10 verses, Jesus said, this will surely not end in his death. And then 10 verses later, he said, yeah, he died. Have you ever been in a season of life where you feel like the thing the Lord had spoken to you is a contradiction? There's something profound and beautiful and crazy happening in this situation. And that Jesus told them from the beginning, four verses in exactly how the story was going to end. But halfway through, there's a speed bump, right? The dude that wasn't supposed to die, dies. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like your season of preparation or journey feels like a contradiction? Let's keep going. It says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Again, so much, so much significance to these parts of the scripture that I encourage you to dig into on your own. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Good Christian answer. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she is to come into the world. Theologians would tell you that that is actually one of the most profound tiny sentences in scripture because she was one of the first people to nail it right on the head. You are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. There's something beautiful there. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary were in the house, comforting her, noticed that she jumped up. Uh, I'm making, I'm putting more words in. I just prayed that I wouldn't do that. Uh, Notice how quickly she got up, not jumped up, and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, again with the accusation, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And listen to Jesus' response. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest scripture, shortest verse in all scripture, Jesus wept. You see his humanity just fully on display in that moment. Then the Jew says, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Almost done. You guys still with me? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Sounds kind of familiar. Sister of the dead man. By this time, there'll be a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of those people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's my loud voice of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So I'm a dad of four kids. And anytime I tell this story, my kids always act out like VeggieTales are like, "Mm -hmm." like Lazarus coming out of the, the grave. So that's, You're welcome. That's a gift to you, that mental picture. There's so much happening in this story. The first thing I just want to point out is how beautiful it is that we have a Savior that doesn't sit us on the roller coaster, step out of the roller coaster, and hit go. Jesus takes the front seat, and he allows all of the emotion and the pain and the journey and the confusion and the potential understanding of contradiction, he just, gets in the car with him, gets right in the front of the roller coaster, and he goes, let's go for a ride. It's beautiful that we have a Savior that's not distant and that he's with us. Amen? Amen. So here's a few takeaways. He wants to shape you, not hurt you. He wants to shape you, not hurt you. There's other parts of Scripture that talk about us being on the potter's wheel, Like we're a piece of clay being molded. He's trying to shape you. He's not trying to hurt you. The people in this story have every reason to feel like they're just going through the meat grinder. They just, you know, they've been through a lot. What a roller coaster. He wants to shape you, not hurt you. I've heard it said if you're still breathing, he's still working we're in the process, commit to the process, all those really fun, is that he wants to shape us, not hurt us, is that it doesn't always look the way you think it's going to look. Can anyone attest to that? It doesn't always look the way it's going to look. So this last year, we knew it was going to be a bit of a journey for us. You know, we're going to plant a church. I've been a pastor for 18 years now, and mostly in creative ministry and building teams and launching campuses and really beautiful ministry. But we went into this year knowing, Lord, there is something new. and I and my, our family, as we go into this world of planting a church, we knew it was coming. We sensed it. We could smell it in the air, kind of like that Arizona rain smell. Anyone? Is that like the coolest smell ever? Fun fact, there's a weed in Arizona. That smell only exists in like the Southwest region. Anyways, nerd fact for the day. We knew it was coming. We knew the shaping, the molding, the potter wheel. We knew it was coming. We just didn't know how. And at the beginning of this year in January, we just got hit with a doozy. We had a really close family friend of ours steal a ton of money from us. And if you guys can know, as you guys know, in this economy, that's pretty insane. (laughs) It took the wind out of our sail completely. But we came back and we said, all right, we're fighters. We are a come what may kind of family. We believe that God's got us. He is good. He is kind. He is faithful. We're good, which are all true statements. But in the, in the moment, I think we were just trying to pump ourselves up. And then something beautiful happened. We found out we were pregnant around that time. And then, and, but there's, there's restoration, so you won't feel super bad in February. And it was brutal. And we named him Ezekiel, which means God will strengthen. And it was horrible. We had never experienced any, any type of loss like that in our entire lives. And we couldn't help but sit and say, God, what are you doing? Because what we see as promise feels a lot like a contradiction at this point. You said this surely will not end in his death, yet he died. What are you doing? But God had the ending already locked in at the beginning. All of that, I got shingles. It was horrible. Guys, I don't recommend shingles to anyone. It's not fun. And there's a, in, in the book of Job, Job gets covered in boils. And it paints this picture. I swear it it had to have been shingles because it was awful. But in the story, he (laughs) smashes pottery. This is so nasty. And he takes that and he scrapes the boils off of his body. So my friends were calling me Job Turco. (laughs) I'm glad I'm suffering for your amusement. Um, But that season was really rough, right? Three hits, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, Lord, this preparation feels a lot like contradiction. And what I learned in that season when I was sick with shingles is I was in our little casita. We have a little guest house because my, my in-laws live with us half the year. So I was in there isolating from the babies so I don't give them chicken pox. There's the whole thing. More nerd stuff. So I'm sitting there, and I'm writing and I'm praying, and I'm seeking the Lord. And I just start drawing empty barrels. Any Lord of the Rings fans? You know, like the barrels the dwarves got in? Sorry. I saw one hand in the back. I see you. Um. I drew these empty barrels in my journal and I said, Lord, what do these barrels mean? And he said, Nathan, there's still some stuff at the bottom of the barrel that I couldn't get to right at the very edges, right at the very bottom. I couldn't get to until I emptied you completely. And it broke me all over again. Does it ever feel like your season of preparation feels like a contradiction friend today? If you're struggling, if you're hurting, pain that you're experiencing is wasted. He's for you. He's not after you. He's pursuing you. That's different than he's after you. I talk to people all the time that feel like the Lord has just got their number. He's there's like, man, God's after me. He's always punishing me. He's always after me. And I would, I would argue that the Lord loves you, and he's trying to embrace you, and he wants to shape you, not to hurt you. Every step, moment of waiting, every moment of breakthrough and victory for Mary, for Martha, for the disciples, for all those strangers that were watching, for Lazarus, who missed most of the story. He just got to show up at the ending. That was cool. And for you and for me, and just like it, your story is crucial for you, for those around you, and for those who would hear your testimony one day. The Bible says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He's using the hurting, the waiting, the broken moments to shape you, not to hurt you. So where's our anchor point? Psalm 118, 29. Anchor ourselves and remind ourselves that he's trying to shape us, not to hurt us. So second takeaway from this scripture that's really beautiful and I thank God for every morning is that he can handle what you bring to the table. I can tell just by standing here and by sitting here last service and this service that this is not a church that checks their baggage at the door. You bring it in with you, which is what you should do because we have a savior that can shoulder all the way to the world. So if you ever feel the pressure to come in here and pretend to be something you're not or have it together, friend, you are in great company. We are all bringing some baggage. He can handle what you can bring to the table. Praise God for that. Mary and Martha confronted him. Second one he's in town. He's like, hey guys, I'm sorry. They're like, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yes, and it's full of grace. And he just embraces them. It even says that he wept with them. And then a couple of verses later it says, again moved. Like he was moved again. It's powerful. I'm thankful to have a savior like that. Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen. There was this one time when I was 19 and I lived in upstate New York for like a hot minute. I moved up and I was a youth pastor at the time and there was a bunch of teenagers and what you do when you're in upstate New York and you're in farmland is you go and like, I don't know, there's only farms around. So what you do is you go sneak onto farms that you think are abandoned, abandoned. So you can kind of see where this story is going. I'm the only 19 year old in this equation. So I'm the adult and the responsible one here's the deal. I'm about to turn 38. I'm a different man now. I have kids. I'm a more responsible person. But at the time, abandoned farm. And I'm like, lead the way. (laughs) Let's go. So we go to this farm, and we're playing, and we're jumping around. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, this looks like fresh hay. And I'm like, um, that looks like a new piece of machinery. And no joke, within seconds of me saying, guys, I I don't think this is an abandoned farm. A piece of farm equipment collapsed on one of the kids. Horrible, horrible. I had to wrap my shirt around his head. It was like a whole thing. He's okay now, but he was injured enough to where we had to call the police and ambulances had to come. It was a whole thing. So fast forward three weeks later, I'm standing in front of a judge. I had no moral high ground left. I had no defense. I was a dummy for even being there, let alone allowing these teenagers to go. How grateful are you, I know I am, that I have a great high priest. He knows my potential, he knows my weaknesses, he knows my ups, my downs, my middle grounds, and he still advocates for me. He is our great high priest. How awesome is that? It's the best friend you could ever have. Knows you fully and still sticks up for you. The last takeaway is that we're his and he loves us. You are his, and he loves you. The team's going to come of a second, but can I just remind us of this story in um, Romans 5? It's the Eugene Peterson translation. I don't have it with me, but I'll paraphrase it. Have you ever been in a hotel room, and you walk up to the extra door in your room, and you open it, and then there's another door? And you never see that. It's for adjoining rooms, right? And in Romans 5, in the Eugene Peterson translation, uh, message translation, it says that we open our door to God and realize at the exact same moment that He's already opened His door to. He always hoped we might stand out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. We are His own. You are His own, and He loves you. He wants to shape you, not hurt you. He can handle what you bring to the table. You're His own, and He loves you. In John 17. When Jesus is talking to the Father, he's praying for his disciples, and then he prays for the future church. And when he talks about the disciples, and when he talks about the future church, do you know what he calls you? He calls you, those you have given to me. Let that sink in for just a second. Not some generality, but when Jesus is talking to God the Father, he says, God, Father, Abba, Father, I pray for those you have given to me. Friend, you are his own. You are his own. You're not just a group. You individually are his own, and he loves you. He is for you. Every step of your story is crucial. For those that will hear your testimony one day, It's difficult to see in the moment, but God is using your story to make you, not to hurt you. He's using your waiting moments, your down and out moments, your frustrated moments to shape you into who he always intended for you to be. We're going to do something just a little bit different. If you guys would, would you stand with me? We're going to do this little bit of practice and reflection moment called ask, be, and rest. So if you would, would you close your eyes for just a moment? It's just you in an audience of one, just looking right at your creator. You're going to ask the Lord right now. I challenge you to do this. It's tough, but you got this. Ask him what he's trying to teach you. What's he trying to tell you? Is he trying to teach you grace? Is he trying to teach you peace? We're going to do the next step of this, which is B. And take a little page out of Mary and Martha's book, and we're going to tell Jesus exactly how we feel. We're going to be honest in his presence right now, because we have a great high priest. So now that you've asked him what he's trying to teach you, I want you to tell him how you're feeling about that right now. High priest, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with great, or his throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. I want to invite you just into a moment of rest. You are his own and he loves you. He calls you by name. He's not in a hurry. Maybe there's some of us in this room who had dads that were really hurried. And the moments you think back on and you're trying to show your dad something beautiful, hey, I made this, and he rushes past you. We don't have that kind of heavenly father. And he calls you his own.